0: welcome to the find your awesome podcast my name is kelsey abbott and i am your host i'm also a certified professional coach specializing in joy mindfulness and confidence and in my work as a coach i help spiritual adventurers remember who they are and why they're here so they can up level with ease in my work as your podcast host i hope to create inspiring conversations with brave vulnerable people who are owning who they are they're owning what I call their awesome. It's their own unique greatness. It's something that no one else has. It's the thing that comes easy to them. It's their gift to the world. And all of my guests, they aren't doing what they quote unquote should be doing. They're not following any external rules. They are following their own drive, passion, spark, fire. And it's what makes them sparkly AF. It's what makes them this super powerful Humans that they are. It's what helps them serve the world and and just leave the world with well, what wasn't here before. So today, my guest is Jennifer Kim. She is a Fran- San Francisco Bay Area based branding and marketing expert who gets entrepreneurs seen, heard, and paid for being themselves. Jen and I get into values. And we we talk a little bit about how you can find your own values if you haven't gone through a values exercise yet. And I just want to give you one other idea about it and it's core desired feelings. This idea comes from Danielle Laporte. It's been around for a while. There's a book. There are tons of, I'm sure Danielle has tons of materials to help you through this. A coach can help you through this anyway. It's quite simple. How do you want to feel? How do you wanna feel in your business? How do you wanna feel in your sport? How do you wanna feel in your relationship? How do you wanna feel in your body? How do you wanna feel when you put your feet on the ground first thing in the morning? How do you want to feel? A few of my core desired feelings are expansive, connected, electric, and free. And I'm sharing those with you really just to give you some words to get you started. If you haven't already thought about your core desired feelings, it's a fun exercise. It can come a little easier than values sometimes and both can be used together. There's no right or wrong way. You, you do you, the whole, the whole meaning behind this is to have something that you can be in alignment with, to have something you can ask yourself, do I feel, this way, I can ask myself, does this light me up? In other words, does it feel electric to me? Do I feel connected? Do I feel expansive? Do I feel free? And if the answers to any of those is no, then I'm probably not going to do whatever it is. It's just a way to check in with yourself. So back to this week's episode, I told you a little bit about Jen already. Also, Jen spent some time in corporate America and then she went on to build a retail business and become a millionaire at 32, only to lose it all in the recession two years later. She's now the successful owner of three million dollar brand building businesses and the mother of three children. She knows her shit and she really believes in you, in you doing it your way. Oh, one more thing. She also has a brand new podcast podcast called FemFluence. So check out the podcast. We talk about it at the end of the show. All right, my friends, that's a lot of information. Do with it what you want to do and go forth and be awesome. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My guest today is Jennifer Kem, aka Jen Kem. And she is, well, she's the bomb. She's kind of, we're going to stop right there. She's the bomb. Welcome, Jen.
1: Hey, Kelsey. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so excited to do this with you. I'm so excited to dig into, just right off the bat, your latest passion
1: project, FemFluence. Mm -hmm. Can you tell Uh us about that, please? Oh, I I could talk about that all day, Kelsey. Mm -hmm. So thanks for opening with something. Now you know how to get me engaged. We could talk forever. (laughs) Uh, What a great question. What a great host. Well, FemFluence is a passion project that has been in my belly and my heart for at least six years. And it really came to me one night, actually in the shower. A lot of my ideas come in the shower. In fact, most great ideas for me come in the shower. I get crazy things happen in the shower. <laughs> um, that's a whole other thing. But I, one night I was taking a shower and I kept asking myself I think the question a lot of us ask ourselves, which is, what's my purpose? What's, you know, and even though I felt really good at who I was six years ago, I felt this massive change come over me in terms of the season that I was moving into as a woman, as a business owner, as a leader, and frankly, even as a mother, like as a mother and a wife, as a woman, basically in the world. And I started to think about the things that got me to where I got at that time. And I realized that it was my um, level of unapologetically looking at how I looked at money and how I looked at um, persuasion and that my relationship with money and persuasion I felt was healthy, but I felt that many of the women in my life did not feel like their relationship to money and persuasion was, was healthy. And, you know, a different word for money is affluence. And a different word for persuasion is influence. And then I'm a brand strategist for a living. And so the words fluence came together. So it was all about like, women owning and leading their own affluence and influence in their life, whatever that means for them. And so the funny thing is I came up with this great idea and then I sat on it for four years. (laughs) I sat on it for four years because I was doing all the things that, um, I tell people not to do, which is I was trying to make it perfect. And I felt like if it was my passion project, if it was my legacy project, I needed to reveal it in a way that was mind blowing, you know, and which was total bullshit. I knew that, um, I knew that even, but I kept. It was more because I was afraid to own um, that being what I was known for. Um, I, I was I was very attached to um, being known as like one of the most you know uh, asked for brand strategists in the in the game, and had you know worked my way up as from being a single mom, and you know all these things, these stories, which were all true stories but it was what prevented me from doing femfluence. So, but that's the reason for femfluence is really stepping into that um that that purpose and that passion that you know what's that mark you want to make on the world. And for me it was helping fellow women own their femfluence. And also the other thing that um femfluence is about is what I call it's two things, two terms that I coined. One is it's eradicating pink slime in women. Okay. And I'll talk about that in a moment. And then it's also preventing the blue fumes from persuading us. (laughs) So pink slime is my designation for a mindset and a societal um, perception, belief, or judgment that women have based on a system called the patriarchy that in order for us to be, to achieve something, we have to replace another woman to do it. Because if there are 10 people and there are one, there's one slot for a woman, there's nine slots for a man and one slot for a woman. And I believe that women, it's not a man's problem that women are like this. It's our problem. So like owning the fact that instead of looking at 10 slots as being only one nine, one tenth hours there's room for 10 women at the table mm-hmm. and pink slime is when we both consciously and most of the time subconsciously judge or keep out another woman from growing and i've done it myself so i'm not speaking from a place of um, exclusion i'm coming from a place of actually knowing that when i was in the corporate world i really had that belief system that okay here are all these men there are a few really smart women that are climbing the corporate ladder. And I'm, I have to beat them because the men have their spot, but I have to beat them. And I never s- set out to take down another woman. I can say that. But looking back, I realized that my mindset was I'm competing with her, not with them, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of people blame men for that, um, but it's actually our issue.
0: Do you, where do you feel like that belief came from?
1: Um, well, I think that there is a societal thing that affects especially ambitious women or women who they may not identify as ambitious, but they might identify as wishing they could do something greater than they feel they're doing right now. They might not call that ambition, but I call that ambition. And, um, it was set up that way from the beginning of time, you know, um, for control. So I believe there's on one hand, there's a societal impact going back to like, it's basically, this is controversial, but I'm a historian. Okay. I look at the way the world works and religion and, uh, war have helped shape real estate. Basically like territorialization has created this belief that, um, men are conquerors, right. And Mm -hmm. women are not. So there's that. Um, but My personal thing is that I grew up in an Asian family, traditionally Asian family, where women are expected to work really hard, but still cook dinner, clean the house, be nurturing, make sure our husbands are happy, make sure we're the perfect moms. And I struggled with that moving into my adult life, um, wondering, gosh, I I felt like I was made for bigger things. I really felt that from a young age, but I felt whenever I opened my mouth about those dreams and aspirations, I was actually told, you know, you're not going to be a good catch. No one's ever going to want to marry you. So, like, there were, you know, that type of thing. And this is a man's world. You know, we hear all those cliche, like, words and phrases, but me specifically, culturally, it, it affected me and so some people don't have that cultural problem but most Asian families do I think actually a lot of women have that problem um, where they feel like they have to be everything to everyone and Mm -hmm. so that's kind of my personal thing that affected that
0: one of the things you were describing that um, that you're competing with other women but the men already have a spot I just got this image of it's as though the men are saying okay well that that woman is really cool. She's really strong. She's really good at what she does. So she can have a seat at our table. Mm-hmm. So she's the exception. So you're like, as a woman, you're like, yes, I got accepted. I'm here.
1: Mm-hmm. I got to keep
0: out all the other girls.
1: Mm-hmm. That's the blue fumes thing. That was the second part of what I mentioned. So in FemFluence, I want to eradicate pink slime. I want us to all own that we're leaders and that there's room for all of us at the table. So one of our taglines is you can sit with us. Um, but on the other side of it is that men, first of all, no offense, guys, to those of you that are listening, but I don't feel like they, I do I think that most men aren't intentionally going, let's leave her out. Okay. I think that they don't think of it at all. We put them on that pedestal and that's what I call blue fumes. Okay. (laughs) Like literally we sit at the feet of men with their blue fumes emitting from their body, and say, "Oh, you're the leader. You're the one we should follow. You're smarter than us. You're ahead of us." I especially notice that in the online um, industry is that a lot of women hire men to be their mentors, coaches, consultants. And I, again, nothing against them because I have tons of great colleagues. Back to your comment about, I think the men who know me are like, "Hey, she's cool. She belongs here." You know, but I also think that they're getting the wallet share of a lot of women because women still think that they, it's because of pink slime. And they think that the blue fumes that men are emitting mean that they're smarter, more intelligent, stronger, more powerful, more ambitious than us. And I call bullshit on that. Um, and I think there are some men, frankly, that do manipulate that and know that. And that's why they have a big tribe of women that follow them. Mm. And so, um, I think there is some insidious shit going on over there, but I also believe that most men, are not insidious and i also believe that most women are not insidious i believe there are societal and cultural things that are driving our behavior and if we tell the truth about them we can be more awesome right and we can help each other um but a lot of times we just avoid it and and we don't deal with it and i believe that when you do confront the things that are keeping you from what you can do in the world like this, Um, there'll just be more leadership in the world, which is what we need. We need more leaders. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love so much about this mission. I have so many questions. And also I'm thinking about, so for leaders to step up, we have to have the awareness that this is happening first. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. And I can
0: just almost see so many women being like, but I can't stop and look up. And and see that this is happening yet because I'm so caught up in the, scre- the stream of it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know why too? Because what men are really good at and what women are not as good at, and again, it's not good or bad or indifferent in terms of our ethos. It's just, it, we are built differently, you know, and <laughs> what men are really good at are is explaining the machine. So they're good at building machines. And I call that, you know, the mechanism, the system, the how-tos, Right. They're good at that. Women naturally are so much better at intuitive application of things, just generally speaking. And that's not woo-woo. That's just straight up science. Like it's real biologically between men and women. And the thing is, we believe that our gap is in the system. Our gap is in the how-to. Our gap is in the mechanism. And don't get me wrong, you need the right machines to drive your message forward, right? I'm a brand strategist. So you do need the right machine to drive it forward, but it's not the driver. You're the driver. And so I think that when we we talk about femfluence and, and women owning that, they don't own how much they know intuitively, like what the world needs from them. Instead, they question it by getting more how-to's and systems and applications that only install bad and corrupt software into our system again, like our system, yeah. which is our body, our brain, our soul. And um, I think that women, if we just honored ourselves and like we look at ourselves like we're the shit, you know. I mean, I love uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's quotes uh, when she was asked, Oh, when do you think there will be enough women on the Supreme Court? And she says, When there are nine, yes. right? Because she's like, For hundreds of years, there have been, you know, for, you know, there have been nine male justices. Mm -hmm. So she's like, when there are nine females, then there'll be enough women and not to exclude men, but to go, why do we always look at it as like, Oh, look, that's a perfect example of us thinking there's only one or two spots. you know, it's just a perfect example in Western society's way of looking at the way that we put women into power. And so, yeah, I just think that we, if we didn't try to pay for machines all the time and instead we invested in our inner game and our inner stuff and you know, focus on our values and, and let our life from that place, it, it, we'd feel more peaceful and powerful at the same time.
0: Yes. Oh, I've okay, two competing ideas that are coming up now. Which way do I want to go? Um, so I'm going to go with the, your Ruth Bader Ginsburg thought because I think that women we tend to have this idea culturally that to have just enough uh-huh. So, for instance, like when a woman gets truly drained and depleted from giving to everyone around her, and then she goes to fill her bucket, she will typically fill it until she has enough to give to others.
1: Uh-huh. She won't
0: fill it until that bucket is overflowing. Uh-huh. So they be like, look, Oh, phew, now I have enough to give it away. Uh-huh. But, whoa, <laughs> like we're allowed to let it overflow.
1: Yes. I mean, one of my mentors, friends, and former clients, Lisa Nichols says, you know, you have to serve from your overflow, not your cup. And it's hard back to, we have to untrain and unlearn and get honest around what, again, societal and cultural things are already, you know, polluting our mindset, right? Right. And then you've got your own personal values that you add upon that, and that ingredient mix is what makes you uniquely you. But it also can be detrimental to um, your ability to ever feel like you're serving yourself in a in a in a in a way that fulfills you. You know, and women are we're just we're good at being victim to it too. Because I also want to be clear that like this is not a victim conversation, men against women, et cetera. It's about like just again being honest about. What are we victimizing? Um, What's the truth versus, like, hey, I never, I hear this a lot from women. I don't have enough time um, for myself. I don't have enough time for self care. Um, I feel like I'm giving all my time to other people or anything left is reserved for my kids. I hear that a lot. Do you ever hear a man say that? I mean, honestly, like, never, right? And it's not because they're selfish assholes. It's because, the way that society has placed them there, we are doing that. And so it's kind of like, if you own, take back your power and go, no, 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 wait a minute. These are my values and I'm going to align my actions, my behaviors, my mindset around that. Um, You're just going to have a more peaceful and potent life. Like I said, just really, Mm -hmm. really, um, it's not easy by the way to get there because to unpack all this, unfortunately takes a lot of work, but um, it's worth it because it's us. You know, Um, Mark Cuban says, uh, his dad gave him the best, the best advice that Mark Cuban's dad ever gave him was today is the youngest you're ever going to be. So make it great. You know, okay. cause every, you know, today is the, the youngest you're ever going to be. So women in particular, we've got to find a way to get that club overflowing, to use your words. You know, we got to get there because today's the youngest we're ever going to be. Yeah. So, to, today's the only
0: today we're ever going to have. Yes,
1: exactly. Um,
0: okay. So again, competing ideas, this is what's happening. You're bringing so much brilliance. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um,
0: so back to the victim mentality where I think a lot of, so women are super intuitive. And I think what, what I see happening a lot is a woman will kind of announce her, what her intuition tells her. Uh Someone will say, how do you know that? And she'll like, get out of her power and say I just know but that typically doesn't like she's not saying that from a grounded powerful place of like I know it's not confident.
1: yeah oh and then I mean people buy confidence and back to persuasion and influence when I say buy not necessarily just you know your stuff you know your products your services you're buying their attention you know, um, and vice versa. And I feel like we don't get that that's confidence is what people buy. And if you, I, I can't, I will speak to so many, frankly, even men, but a lot of people who, if they struggle with offering their products or services, I always say it's because you no, know, people don't believe you because you're not confident about it, you know? And when I say confident, you don't have to be like the loudest person in the room you just have to know your shit. And if you know your shit, what are you questioning? Usually it's your mindset, right? It's, oh, am I good enough? Will people accept me? You know, um, all that stuff. And I get it because again, those gremlins run, you know, the space between my ears too. Okay. (laughs) Um, But I work really hard on them to keep them, you know, not to turn them into those gruesome, vicious um, lies that keep me from putting my best self out there. And I mean, gosh, I always tell people, gosh, if you think I like putting stuff out in the world, can you imagine if the gremlins didn't win on me? I, there's a lot I still want to do. You know what I'm saying? That I sh- I wanted to do ten years ago. I just even told you how I took mm-hmm. uh, four years to get the Femfluence movement going because I was the gremlins were telling me you're not ready yet, you're not ready yet. You know, and so it's just so important. It's so important to like not play play a victim to that that same old swan song called Insanity, right? Which is the records playing over and over again, the same song, and you're expecting a different song to come on, but you're the one who kept it on only side A, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so that's, that's the thing.
0: So you mentioned values.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How, well, let's start with what are your top values that drive you?
1: Mm-hmm. So it's autonomy generosity justice leadership and legacy those are my five top values and autonomy being my top top value and i used to if you notice family's not in my top five values mm-hmm. um and it took a lot for me as a woman as a mom as a wife to say that because i think and by the way if someone else's top value is their family i don't judge that what i had to stop doing is judging me for it um, around, oh, I should of course have that in my top five. And what I realized is like, no, my family is, they get the best of me because I'm living in my values. So it's almost like a side effect in my own determinant of what my values are. So, um, I speak about this on my radio show, FemFluence Radio, um, how to live a values driven life, not a results driven life. You know, we're taught definitely if you worked in the corporate world, like results matter and they do matter uh, depending on what your goals are. But I'm like, results should be the output of your values, not the other way around. Like, get results. And therefore this is how how you are valued in the world, right? It's like, oh, I can make money. But if money is my top value, if it were mine, I didn't want people to be like, oh, she only, she's, her only value is money, right? Um, I realized that, my biggest value is autonomy and that's even bigger than freedom. Cause autonomy to me is pure liberation to do whatever the fuck I want. Mm. So, um, and I find that when I'm chained, um, into anything and that's not a rebel thing, it's just a real thing for me. Um, I, every time I've done that, I have about a two and a half year expiration date on it. It's uh, I, my toleration is only two and a half years for any project, job, business, anything if I lose my autonomy in it. And so, um, you know, knowing your values is really about number one, what do you care about? And number two, how is it really showing up in your life? No bullshit. Like, meaning if you were to, a lot of people say what their values are in a more, you know, esoteric kind of way. Like, of course, you know, family, of course, um, whatever. Right. But I'm like, are you really living it? And what I realize is, you know, half of the time I am traveling for work and I love it. Kelsey, I love it. Like I, I love it. And that means I am away from my family. But here's the thing is when I am home, I'm totally with them and it allows me to find peace and happiness instead of thinking, oh, I have to be both. I have to be like, while I'm away getting calls from my kids all the time and like dealing with who cut the oranges and shit like that. I'm like, I'm not that mother. And instead of trying to, for too long, I tried to be that mother. Okay. And I realized, wait a minute, no, I actually enjoy serving my clients, speaking with adults, (laughs) like, you know, and I had to own that. A lot of women I feel can't, they feel guilty. And, um, then the, on the flip side, I have friends who like family is their top value and it's actually absolutely true. And what they're feeling guilty about is that they're not spending as much time in their business or their career. And I try to tell them as their friend, don't feel guilty about it. Are you feeling happy and fulfilled? Um, and they're like, yeah, I'm like, well, then why are you trying to kill yourself over here? Like give what you can to this thing, but focus on this thing. And you'll notice if you start living like that, your life starts to feel peaceful. Now it doesn't happen fast or overnight, but I've been living this way for 12 years and it feels really good.
0: What shifted for you to
1: get you living from your yeah. true values? Two things. One is, um, I got divorced. And I married somebody who, no, no offense to him, he because he's honestly a good guy, super good guy, and he's a good father um, to my daughters, but we were never supposed to get married. And I tried to get out of the marriage before it happened, and because of societal and cultural things, like I was shamed into getting married, literally. And that's I'm taking full responsibility for it, but it really happened to me. And when I got the courage to actually divorce him in a way that I felt was very dignified for both of us, um, it didn't go as dignified as I liked <laughs> and number two, um, I was in a corporate job where I was literally the only woman at the table truly and I was uh, and early on in my career, I was told by a female mentor who I adore um, her name's maria and she told me, Jen, if you want to get ahead, you have to take all the shit projects, like take all the projects no one wants and you'll move ahead faster because you won't get noticed if you're a woman, especially if you're a woman of color. And, um, I listened to that advice and it worked for me in the corporate world, except for the last project I worked on where, you know, I brought what is now honestly a billion dollar revenue line for Verizon where I worked. And uh, I found out that my male counterpart after I finished the project, not only got the promotion, but he got a $100,000 raise. And those two moments, getting divorced and that, I realized that, you know how you can find out what your values are, Kelsey? You find out what violates them. Yes. And once you find out what violates them, those are your top values too. So that's another filter. So for Mm -hmm. me, it was like, I had no autonomy in my marriage. I felt like I was a caged animal, not by him. He wasn't, me personally, I felt like I was in a cage because I didn't, this was not my true choice. And I still made it because I wanted to please my mother and I didn't want to hurt him, you know? And then in work, you know, it was like, my highest, my second highest value is justice. And there's no justice in what happens, right? And then also it made me think, okay, great. So no matter what I do, no matter how hard I work, or how many dollars I bring into this company, how many teams that I lead, I have no freedom to create my own path. And that's when I became an entrepreneur. So those two things are the main things that happened to me that made me really start to see what my values truly were.
0: What's the difference between justice and fairness for you?
1: Um, I don't believe in fairness. That's the difference. (laughs) So what I mean is, justice to me is, the honesty behind what's, okay, so there's a difference between equitable and equity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't believe fairness exists. I think that if you try to always get things fair, there's too many worldviews to, ju- there's too much judgment around worldviews. But I believe in ju- uh, justice is the same thing as equitable. So, um, or sorry, is the same thing as equi- equal, okay? Um, because I think that it's about, if you put one person next to another person, regardless, you know, if you see that the one person is not getting what the other person should get, if they were in the same, let's say class, or color, or whatever, that to me is what justice looks like. Um, is like applying the same rules to the same class of people. Mm-hmm. Um, And, especially again in the western world we have a problem with that and so for me that's that or pay equity right so like for me getting paid i didn't expect me to get paid uh, you know my male counterpart to get paid less than me but i expect to be paid as much as him for the same work you know um and it was pretty clear to me that just because he played golf with our boss every other week he got first in line and i get it i get it that it could be utopian to be justice focused, but I also believe that it's possible. So, cause I think it's common sense, like, you know, just don't treat people like shit, be kind, be fair. But when you say fair, like be just like, mm-hmm. I think of myself as, if I were to think of myself as a character, I think of myself as Solomon, except the queen version, <laughs> you know, um, You know, when he had to cut a baby in half to make a point, he didn't do it, right?
0: That's the key key story I remember from the Right,
1: right. It's (laughs) like there's no justice or fairness in that. There's no good answer. So it's like, how can you apply wisdom and um, discernment and common sense? That, to me, is justice.
0: Mm. I love the thought you've put into these. Mm. All
1: right, wait. What are your other three? Remind me, please. So- Uh, generosity, legacy, and leadership.
0: All right. Which one do you want to explain next?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, generosity is pretty simple. It's the one to me thing that from a cultural and societal perspective, I don't mind that it came into my being. (laughs) And what I mean by that is my grandmother, who is like, if there's a woman in the world that I want to model and emulate, it's her and her name was generosa. So her grand her mother named her right, because my grandmother was the most generous spirit. She taught me, um, you know, she was a Filipino immigrant with a fourth grade education um, that came, you know, for a better life in the US. And she built a company. What's crazy is like she would never tell you, Kelsey, she was an entrepreneur. She wouldn't even know what that means. But she was working in the sugarcane fields and the and the pineapple fields in Hawaii as a laborer and she couldn't pick up her kids from work and I mean from school. And she's like, I need to find another way. So my grandmother um, saw an ad in the newspaper back in the, this was in the late forties, early fifties for caretakers, um, for older people that the state would pay if they watched them in their home. And if you know about Filipinos, okay, first of all, that's why we're all the nurses in the, in the hospital are Filipino, Mm -hmm. um, just naturally inclined to being caretakers. And so she said, Oh, I can do that. You know, so I get to work from home and they'll pay me. And, um, my grandma actually was one of the first three women in the United States. Hawaii was a territory at the time of the United States, um, to start a home healthcare business. Wow. Through that. She's one of the first pioneers. In fact, a name a uh, day in Hawaii is named after my grandmother. And um, anyway, but at the same time, my grandma was like the number one matchmaker in our family. She was trying to get her whole family from the Philippines to the States. You know, it was like, let's marry this person and this person. She was natural. Every person who ever immigrated through our family at least stayed in our house for a few days. Like it was a pass through house. She had food for everyone. It was, and she always said, you know, to me, no matter how hard you work, always have, you know, always give before you take. And so, um, her, her legacy, and even that word, you know, really is the one thing from my upbringing that I chose to really implant in my life, because it's a value that I feel helped me raise, make me be raised by an independent person, you know, and, and see what that looked like, and still being so loving and giving and, having capacity to hold other people's dreams um, and and love them no matter who they were. That, that was who my grandmother was. And so anyway, that's why generosity is one of my top values. And I, every time I ask myself, I'm like, what would, what would generosa do? You know um, when I think about how I can support other people. So that's, that's why generosity is one of my values. And legacy. Legacy is all about, I have people watching me, right? Because I think of this this way. <laughs> My big goal now, you know, I feel very blessed to be a Gen Xer um, mm-hmm. because I feel like we're the last, we're the greatest generation. Here's why. Because even though we we're smallest, we got to see the end of an era of like traditionalism and like we knew what encyclopedias were and <laughs> <laughs> records and like really cool cars before they turn them into mass produced you know monstrosities and then at the same time we're we were the first to like understand technology you know with even with you know Steve Jobs is the same age generation as me etc so like for me as I think about legacy I think about obviously I have three kids um 22 18 and four and you know my big goal now is like I want to make sure my DNA is on the plant on the ship to whatever we end up inhabiting next you know (laughs) I know it sounds like a big but like for me it's like I want my descendants to be part of what's going to happen in the world because I believe so strongly that this fire this grit um and this belief in humankind that I was passed down from my grandmother and I try to distill to my children is worth keeping on plus Filipinos are very very um we're we're very fertile so you know if the world ever ends just put a couple of them in a, <laughs> in, a, in a shelter and it's all good um so that's legacy and then leadership is ultimately like how you behave in the now right so legacy is like how people will remember you or be impacted by you in the future but leadership is how you affect people now and so to me it's a it's a focus on presence and owning the power you were born with. And we all have our own special sauce that makes us uniquely us and a bunch of ingredients, including our stories and our upbringing and cultural stuff. And we have a responsibility while we're here to give all of that, um, like put it all on the dance floor. I believe that that's part of my values. So,
0: Mm. I love it. I love all of them. And I love, I, I just love hearing how people define different words too. Because if you asked me after hearing your top five values to explain what each one meant, I wouldn't have come up with those definitions at all.
1: Uh, uh-huh.
0: It's such an individual thing. So again, when somebody does have like family as a top value, it might mean something completely different than what I would think. Totally. It,
1: yeah yeah there's a i just actually posted this on my instagram stories um it's this quote i don't know who said it but it's the first thing you should know about me is that i am not you a lot more will a lot more will make sense after that (laughs) you know (laughs) so yeah
0: that's actually um that's something that i want to shout from the rooftops that we're all different yes you can't just follow somebody blindly do what they do because you're not them.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So Jen, what drives you?
1: My values, Mm -hmm. like literally the moment. And again, I just want to be clear. I'm not perfect at it, but because it's a good filter for decision-making for me about where I put my time, energy, or my money, it simplifies a lot. And so what drives me is, making sure that I'm as peaceful and living in my power at the same time. And I believe you can be both. They're not mutually exclusive, feeling peaceful and being powerful. Um, And so what drives me is my insatiable curiosity and focus on staying in my values and actually I love observing when I'm out of my values because I'm pretty funny to watch myself (laughs) um so like that's what drives me is you know and I get a lot of support in it I invest in myself from a inner game perspective therapy coaching like the things that I believe high performers and ambitious people need that even more than anyone else because we've got so many ideas um And so what drives me is just being 100, like every day challenging myself to be me and not a representation of me that I think will help people like me more. Um, And to me, that's a fight because I'm a ruler archetype in my brand, you know, in, um, in my brand philosophy, I have this thing called archetyping and I'm a ruler and rulers have in their shadow tendency to have what I call a looking good program that runs them. Um, it's installed early where it's kind of like everything has to look magnificent and I'm constantly checking and reinstalling that program in a different way inside of me. Um, So that to me is what drives me is like tinkering around with my insides. With your archetypes, do uh people change? They can. It's usually not. I find that the more though you embrace the archetype you are, what will evolve is a you more embodying it versus trying to change and shift out of it. So Mm -hmm. it can change, but I think the most powerful and influential people and brands actually own it more than try to evolve out of it. But it does happen.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can be your sparkliest self if you just are a shinier version and step all the way into who you are.
1: Exactly. I find people like, even with my archetype, work, they'll take my assessment over and over and over again, because they want to be a different thing. And I'm like, that's part of your problem. You know, like, you want to be something different. And that's the whole fucking issue. But okay, Mm -hmm. just keep doing that so that you can give yourself evidence um, that you're you like being confused. And I think that's a whole another thing is like, I think there's a lot of value in being confused and not being clear, because then you get to make excuses for not being great. So that's another thing that we do as humans.
0: Yeah. We love that confusion.
1: We love it. It's actually, it's so interesting how it causes so much pain,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: we don't feel like we're, it's worth it unless it's painful, you know? Yeah. So it's a fascinating relationship.
0: It's a funny thing. It's a, for me, confusion feels like, you know, you just stepped on something, but you mm-hmm. can step back and you're out of it. M-hmm. Like, You stepped in confusion and just take a step back and look, you're not in confusion anymore. Yes. But humans are funny.
1: We are. We're silly. We're so silly. We're such silly creatures. (laughs) We really
0: are. (laughs) I'm constantly amused by us.
1: Yes. Um,
0: Jen, when we first started talking about fenfluence, you talked about how you had, you didn't say kick ass, but I'm going to say kick ass relationship with money.
1: Mm -hmm. What did it look like?
0: What does it look like?
1: having a kick-ass relationship with money. Yeah. Or, well, I'll tell you this. I know I didn't have one before. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, I thought it's interesting because one of the gifts that I have that I don't know how, I don't even know. I think it really is a gift because there's a difference between gift talents and skills and a gift is something you're just born with. And, um, I do have a gift of making money naturally. And I always have, like even as a young girl, Even in my corporate career, you know, I could always figure out a way. My problem was keeping it was not my gift, (laughs) nor was it a skill or a talent because I didn't value keeping it. I valued making it. Mm. And so I believe, you know, if you want to be truly affluent in your life, you have to master both, right? You have to master um, making it. When I say making it, making it in a way that aligns with who you are, your values, right? And money, again, that's also like relative, right? It's kind of like some people are like, oh, you know, if I made $50,000 a year, I'd be thrilled, right? Some people, it's got to be $5 million, $500 million, whatever. Um, I don't judge the, how much you want to make, but the idea for me, money making money is like, okay. And then the other side of it is like keeping it. So do you value what you have? And that was my biggest leak in the past was that I didn't value keeping it. Um, what shifted for me in 2008 is when the Great Recession hit and I had my brick and mortar business in Hawaii that was a $10 million company and it eroded to zero minus um, with the um, with the recession and that happened to pretty much everyone. In fact, every friend or colleague I had at the time, they no longer have a business. I'm the only one that does. Um, they all went back to having jobs. And I can tell you that I learned from that and I needed that lesson to understand how important it was to understand where my money was going, how I was, you know, taking care of it, how I was respecting it, not as my boss, like money is not my boss, but as in relationship to my values, because what does the money give me in order to live my highest values? That's kind of how I look at my relationship with money now. And it's definitely a healthier, obviously relationship now, because I care more about I care, I put more value on keeping it um, and applying it to my values.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important to figure out what it is we need to learn
1: Mm -hmm. about money and it's going to
0: be different for each one of us. Totally. For me, I had this story that um, receiving money was taking money from someone else, Mm. that it belonged to someone else, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that money wasn't its
1: own entity. Mm, interesting
0: yeah that stopped stopped the flow pretty quickly
1: yeah i mean (laughs) it's funny how like again back to being silly creatures how much money (laughs) even those that say oh i don't like money or i don't you know money's the root of all evil or whatever other story that they make up it definitely is a powerful force that if you don't honor it it'll mess you up either way and so um i just think it's it's fascinating um, how it's such a great, it's a great symbol for processing what you care about.
0: Mm. Can you
1: explain that a little more? Well, you know, if you value, if money, if you can see, and again, I'm speaking to like people who are driven and ambitious, then, you know, how you make money and the way that you believe you have to make money is it tells a lot about how in your pocket and your values you are or not. Cause like a lot of people go, okay, I want to make money and they're willing to do anything to make it. And that either burns them out and, or it's out of integrity, you know? Um, and so what I mean by that is like, it's funny how money, you start making money the master, money the mechanism, money the machine, because it's a how-to, right? As I said up front, mm-hmm. instead of going, how do I make this thing called money work for me, you know, versus I work for it? Yeah. Um, and I think when you create the relationship is how money works for you versus you work for it. You, you move into the master, not the servant.
0: Mm-hmm. So It's a really interesting um, piece, the the like money being um money being a servant uh-huh. or you being the servant of money either way is disempowering
1: uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. okay the other piece you talked about at the beginning with influence is influence influence uh-huh. and persuasion uh-huh. and you said you're really good at that uh-huh. what did that well,
1: mean I, well i can see that Well, since I build brands for a living, like that's my job in the world. I build platforms of many, obviously like Fortune 500 companies and celebrities and thought leaders, well, you know, all that. The thing is, is that if you want more affluence, usually getting influence first helps a lot. And so influence is really just the ability to persuade. Now, if you're a high integrity brand, your persuasion is based on you know, whether or not what you serve up um, really helps people. And so, and of course, that's also subjective, right? But I feel like when I say I'm good at building influence, it's about enrollment. So what I mean by that is if you become good at enrolling, which you already were when you were a young child, you know, think about a child, they can enroll you into anything. Hey, come play Legos with me. Hey, um, you know, I want to get that piece of candy from the store. Hey, you know, can you go ride bikes now? Like whatever it is, they're really good at influencing other people to do what they want. And so they're master enrollers. And so you want to be good at influence you have to think of yourself as an enrollment specialist you know how can I enroll other people you can do it through connection so if one of your values is high connection which connection is not one of my highest values in fact it's the thing I'm not good at so that's why I I like will put myself adjacent to somebody else who I believe is good at that because it's not my gift um I'm actually naturally introverted and Um, that type of thing. So natural intro, a lot of introverts though, are some of the most influential people in the world. Steve jobs was an introvert. Most of the fortune 500 CEOs are introverts. Um, and some of the biggest innovators in the world are introverts. And so if they want to become influential, what they do is they connect their caboose to somebody whose value is connection. And those people are good at enrollment. So introverts only need to enroll a few people, extroverts enroll a lot of people. And that's, creates influence and if so if you're less if you're more of an introvert find extroverts that you believe are in align with your values and have good platforms for you to assign what i call the brand halo effect which is like putting your brands together and working together towards a greater good a greater common goal Um, or if you're an extrovert you also like you become irritating and bossy and noisy right and so you need the balance of a couple like introverted maven type thinkers and talkers that can help you not look like you're just always selling snake oil you know Mm -hmm. um and so it's like who are you hanging out with kind of thing so influence comes from connection mainly and enrollment
0: Mm. i love that that's really insightful thank you for sharing that it also makes me wonder (laughs) like totally shifting gears when you were a little kid what did you want to be when you grew up I wanted to
1: be the general counsel for Coca Cola International. <laughs> How old were you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I literally was. Uh, yeah, I was in second grade. I got in trouble from the nuns because I went to Catholic school, and they asked all the second graders the that question: "What do you want to be when you grow up?" Right. So all the boys said they wanted to be firefighters, doctors, and policemen, and the girls said they wanted to be nurses and teachers or moms. And I said, I want to be the general counsel for Coca Cola International. And I got put in the corner, which I was always like the front row student. So it was devastating mm-hmm. um, that I got put in the back because I said something so specific. And you're probably like, how did you even fucking come over that? Well, I'll yeah. tell you. That I was my question. <laughs> every morning, I would have Lipton hot tea and peanut butter toast with my Grandma Generosa every morning. And she would read the paper, and even though she wasn't a highly educated woman, one of the things that she told me is always embrace information. Like, so she taught me how to be so curious about the world and like read things. And I, so I'm a voracious reader. Uh, My happy time is being a reader. Anyway, I used to sit with her every morning before school, and she'd be reading the paper. And she told me once, she was, "Here's the business section. You're really smart. I don't really know what they're talking about here, but read it." And I remember the top line on the the business page one day when I was in second grade was about like Coca-Cola international biggest brand in the world um, hires new general counsel. And then I read the article and it says something about like, I put two and two two together by context clues also by looking in the dictionary, not on Google uh, because it wasn't there at the time, what general counsel meant. I meant like the top attorney at a company. And I put two and two together that, oh, I'll, I wanted to travel so I said, Oh, well, Coca-Cola is the biggest brand in the world. And I'll It's an international brand. And obviously the general counsel is very important. So I thought I wanted to be a lawyer and I didn't want to be a doctor because there's too much blood involved. Um, and so I put two together. And then when I was asked in class, that's what I said. And then I remember going home and crying my eyes out to my mother who, you know, the nun called her and said that I was acting up in class and um, see the kind of stuff that will fuck you up later. You don't, you know? (laughs) And so like, um, and my mom even said to me, she goes, I understand, you know, you have these big dreams. And she even told me, she's like, see when, when you speak too much about things, people don't understand, they're going to reject you. My mom used to tell me that she didn't mean to Mm. implant that negative thinking, but she's trying to protect me. You know, it was like, from this this angry world that didn't accept women. And she said, and she goes, by the way, Jenny, my mom called me Jenny, now y'all know, um, what, <laughs> is a, what is a general counsel? My mom didn't even know. And I said, mom, it's the top attorney in a company. And I remember my mom saying, why didn't you just say you wanted to be a lawyer and leave it at that? And I learned back to, you know, your question is like, <laughs> I learned very early that, oh, we, we, we shouldn't be specific about what we want because we have to dumb ourselves down. So other people fucking get it, you know, and I had to unlearn that the moment that I decided to leave my marriage and, you know, quit my really high paying job. Um, I had no good reason to leave, but I finally was just sick of the lies I was telling myself and allowing those old stories to run the way that I was being in the world. Yeah, I could, I could have gotten by just fine Kelsey, right? Like right now, if I would have stayed in that job, I'm sure I'd be like, CEO or at least CMO of some big company by this point in my career, but I'm really glad that I didn't because you know
0: it sounds like you'd still be dumbing yourself down so totally. i people could understand you so
1: that people could understand me so that people could accept me mm-hmm. so that I could get better opportunities you know all that shit you know but that what violates what my autonomy to yes. live my life and be Gen motherfucking Cam you know mm-hmm. so that's 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 the truth that's my truth and I'm still I'm still unpacking those old stories because they still come and dirty up the pool, trust and believe. Yeah.
0: Oh, and do the stories get loudest when we're about to do something really, truly awesome.
1: Absolutely.
0: So did that story come out when you were pondering FemFluence?
1: Absolutely. Because I thought, Oh gosh, you know, my male clients are going to think that I'm now some feminist radical. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I also got feedback from some women that they hated the name because they were like, you know, I'm ambitious and when I say I'm feminine that's a negative. And I was like, "Girl, let me tell you what." But it, you know, I was so like, "Oh my god. Now also if women who are ambitious don't look at themselves as female, you know, <laughs> identifying as female, we've got yeah. bigger problems. Like now we have to think that we have to wield, you know, big balls to mm-hmm. like get anything. It just again, notice notice the discrepancy there. It's crazy. And so just even the name femfluence, I even got um um feedback and I totally like when I heard this one, I thought, okay, you know, I have to take that into account is that I didn't realize that inside of the um, inside of the um, LGBTQ, um, you know, um, grouping that fem is a actual grouping. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so hearing that feedback, I actually, of course I wanted to be sensitive to it because I was ignorant. Basically I had no idea. And just because I'm a feminist and I'm big on justice and, Um, you know, for me, I'm about recognizing people who are not privileged. Um, I wanted to listen. And I said to them, and this was, again, uncomfortable, I said, I totally hear you. And can you hear that by telling me that I have the wrong name, my perception is because you're saying I'm colonizing the name you made up. Okay. Mm. And my thing was, I 100% hear you. And I can see how that could be your perception, I want to honor that. And do you see that that's pink slime? Because now you're saying that, okay, if a woman is is a lesbian, and she's called butch or femme, you're basically discriminating against butches, you're discriminating against non femme people. And I'm just, do you see that? And I took a big risk by saying that, because they could probably say, Oh, look, at you're being defensive. Oh, see, you're not for us. But it was interesting, because it completely diffused the conversation, because I was willing to have that conversation with a woman, I respect it. Like I said, you know, I respect it. And I, first of all, I apologize if I offended you. And I want you to understand my thought process behind it is like, I I want to celebrate any woman who identifies as female. And that doesn't, you know, whether or not you weren't a female in your past life, you know, like that's who this movement is for, is to just celebrate and cut the crap around what women think it takes in order to lead. And just that conversation alone, Kelsey, is an example of, like, me being willing to be scared, like, because I, I wanted her to like me. I didn't want her to think I was colonizing her, you know, mm-hmm. all that. And, um, and at the same time, I was like, I'm not changing my name because that I, I would have if I could have really believed but even her worldview changed when she said, oh, my God, I didn't realize I'm actually, I'm throwing shade slash pink I'm throwing slime on other women. And I'm like and I said I'm not saying that to judge you. I'm saying isn't this powerful to know that we do it? Like, you know, and then we can do something different. Yes. Right? So, it's 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 really trippy. It's fucking great work for me in terms of like my own personal journey to be less of the gen who got told I can't be a per- that person. Mm-hmm. And then if it helps other women, Awesome, but I think it's a very much in alignment with my values. Who and you know,
0: so? you said that you sat on it for four years because you told yourself it wasn't the right time. Mm. But really, truly, maybe it wasn't time yet because it's <laughs> like this is real work for you.
1: It is. is real
0: work for our society, and I think our society needs it really, really badly right now. We needed it
1: four years yeah. ago. But like now
0: we really need it.
1: Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, that's what I believe in. Like I totally believe in divine timing Mm -hmm. and that sometimes your resistance is useful. Absolutely. You know, sometimes um, it knows something that you don't know yet hundred percent. It's part of the wisdom Mm -hmm. and it's that discernment. And that's why using values as the filter helps you make more peaceful decisions around it. Meaning like, okay, now I know it was on purpose. I think everything we do is on purpose. Really? We just fight it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then there are people who do make excuses for not doing stuff. And I realize like, it's just the discernment to know what's true and untrue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it, was, it was true for me, so. Oh,
0: Jen, you rock.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me and letting – it's fun to talk about this stuff because I don't think people – people don't ask me this, like, even though you ask very simple questions, and I mean that in a positive way, it's like you just allow the person to really discuss – what's up for them. So thank you for being
0: mm-hmm. for your, that. your, your heart was shining through your words hugely. Oh, thank you. How can people join the conversation, learn more about you, get more gen motherfucking chem in their life?
1: <laughs> so first place, if you're a woman and you want to live a values driven life, definitely listen in to my podcast. It's called Fluence Radio and you can Access it at femfluence, F-E-M-M-E-F-L-U-E-N-C-E.com. Nice and then work. you can follow me at um, Jennifer Kemp. That's jenniferke And I'd love to get to know you. And I'm also on Instagram as jennifer.com. So those are the three best ways to hang out with me.
0: Fabulous. Thank you so much Thank for sharing you. your wisdom, your passion, and your fire with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group. Find your awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com and there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the find your awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.